lot of talk about homelessness recently here in New York City. The feeling it is that it is worse than ever before. Some of that is alarmist and often exaggerated fear of rising crime. But when it comes to homelessness, the data backs the perception up. More people are homeless now than since the Great Depression. According to studies by the Coalition for the Homeless, the number of homeless New Yorkers sleeping in shelters is up 15% in the past 10 years. The overall number of homeless single adults has risen an astronomical 92%. Now folks have taken notice with a range of reactions. In our own neighborhood here on the Upper West Side where this congregation is, when homeless folks were housed at the Lucerne Hotel during the pandemic, a bitter battle erupted between people who saw the housing as compassionate and those who saw it as blight. It got ugly. A noose was hung in front of the hotel. Citizens complained that the neighborhood was going downhill and parents worried that their children were unsafe. Our politicians noticed as well. Last fall, our mayor, Eric Adams, put forward a policy that homeless folks could be forcibly removed from the street by police and hospitalized. He argued that this was for their own good. They could finally get the treatment that they needed. And the public good would be served as well. Cleaner streets, parks, and trains. Now, I know that most people in New York City probably would prefer to not have homeless folks around. Part of that, hopefully, is a humanitarian reason. The hope that those who are currently privileged enough to be housed are saddened that anyone in this city of such great wealth and privilege have to live without a permanent place to be. They want for those people a better life. But let's not be naive either and pretend that concern about homelessness is the same as concern for the homeless. Many people simply want them gone. It is more an aesthetic concern than anything else. The homeless are unpleasing to the senses. To many, they make the beautiful park ugly. What is often unstated but widely felt is that it would be better for everyone if they were just removed from public view. The forced coercion by the police through Adam's new policy is just one example of that often unstated sentiment. The fact is, unfortunately, that there are not enough hospital beds for mentally ill homeless folks, nor is the process of outpatient treatment after release especially effective. Often people are released with prescriptions and plans, but without a place to stay, and unsurprisingly, they return to homelessness once again with all its dangers and instabilities that lead and further mental illness and addiction. Our cities and many of our assumptions about models for addressing homelessness, they are founded on two false and harmful assumptions. First is that people who are homeless are homeless 
willfully, that they are choosing in some obstinate, obnoxious way to inflict their presence on the public, maybe because they feel like it, or they're lazy or refuse to work, or possess some moral failing that leads them to do such a thing. Second, that if you treat whatever problem they are having, whether it's an addiction or mental illness, that they would no longer be homeless. Thus, it is humane to force a homeless person into a hospital for treatment because it will give them the tools they need to overcome their mental illness or addiction. They'll turn their life around and they will be cured. Part of being Unitarian Universalists, the tradition of our congregation, is that we are science-driven. We are data-driven. We believe in reason and rationality. And so it is important that we understand what actually causes homelessness. Mental illness and addiction are not the primary reasons for homelessness. Many people think they are, but they are not. Homelessness is about a lack of housing. It is easy to blame mental illness especially. Mental illness makes it a it-their problem. It doesn't have to do with anything the majority of housed people have to worry about, how we may live our lives, those of us who are privileged to have a roof over our heads. Focusing on mental illness and also addiction lets us just treat the individual, give them medications, and make the problem and them go away. Homeless people are just people with personal problems. We should help them, of course, through treatment and services and counseling. But it's not really about the rest of us. Let us be honest that this sounds a lot like another argument, an argument that most of us on the left deplore, an argument we hear from the conservative right that blames the mentally ill for gun violence. We know, as reason-based scientists-based, data-driven-based people, that the true reason for gun violence is the availability of guns. We know that most people with mental illness are not violent, but it is easier and more convenient to bray about mental illness and then deal with the real underlying structural problems that would require real change and hard work and sacrifice and giving up something that we enjoy. Now the left's belief that mental illness causes homelessness is similarly misguided, perhaps not with the conspicuously insincerity of the right or the duplicitousness of the mental health argument around guns. But the result is the same, blaming individuals for a societal problem. It's an effort to avoid the more difficult and painful structural solutions that we need when it comes to combating homelessness. For politicians like Adams, it is easy to act macho, to throw the weight of the police around at problems, as if the homeless are some wayward youth or rebellious child who need a timeout in a hospital bed before learning the errancy of their ways. It is easy, as our nation does with our prison system, to score political points by removing people 
that the wealthy, the comfortable, feel uncomfortable around. Our leaders cynically understand that most people complaining about homeless will forget that these individuals exist the minute they vanish from view. Just like most Americans think little about the millions of Americans incarcerated, more people than any other country in the world. Politicians and leaders recognize that these people who are put away, whether because of mental illness or a system of incarceration, these people are disproportionately black and brown, disproportionately queer and transgender, and they feed into structural and sometimes overt racism and prejudice that normalizes removing these people from society as an acceptable and unavoidable reality. And so our city takes the homeless person off the park bench, out of the train, move them to institutions and shelters far away from areas where the middle class and the wealthy live. The middle class and wealthy whose political power is so often aligned against the poor. And then our government is applauded for valiantly standing up to a public menace. But this, friends, is theater. It is cheap political talk. It pretends to treat the root causes of homelessness while knowingly treating only their symptoms in order to look tough and effective and politically astute. It treats people suffering from real and preventable trauma as essentially criminals. Again, homelessness is not about mental illness or addiction. It's not about criminality. It is about a lack of housing. How do we know this? We know because study after study tells us. We know because statistics show that the overwhelming factor in places where high rates of homelessness exist are also the places where high housing costs, not a lack of social services, exist. Places with the highest rates of homelessness, places like New York City and the West Coast, have some of the best social services available especially compared to places like the South, like Florida and Texas, where they proportionally have far fewer homeless people. It's because there's affordable housing there. It turns out that what makes people homeless is not being able to afford a home. It is living so rent poor that the minute your life takes a turn for the worst, you have no wiggle room so you lose your home. Certainly mental illness and addiction can contribute to this. But if a person can afford a place to live, then even those who struggle remain housed because they aren't living on that razor edge of poverty. We only have to look at Florida and Texas and other places in the South, places that we in New York City, the liberal beacon, don't look to look at for solutions to our problems. But there, when people have affordable housing, they overwhelmingly take it, and homelessness is less. And when it is not available here on the West Coast and other high-density cities, people have no place but to find shelters 
which are often dangerous or live in the street. The problem here and in New York City and elsewhere is that we simply don't have enough homes. There are not enough places that are available for people to live. We need to build more. We need to build them everywhere. The solution is both complex and simple. There are tons of unwieldy rules and laws and dysfunctional landlords and regulations that make building housing difficult in this city. And it is expensive. That is the complicated part. But what is simple to understand that we can do as people, as individuals, and as a community is to recognize that part of what is holding up affordable housing in this city is that many New Yorkers are prejudiced against the poor. It's not just that people don't want homeless people living on the streets. It's that they also don't want them living down the hall from them or next door or down the block. The issue is not just an aversion to homelessness, it is to the people themselves and what they represent and all the fears that they bring up for so many people in this city. You may have heard the phrase nimbyism. This stands for not in my backyardism. It is common in New York City and in many places of privilege and wealth and even to the middle class but it is also when speaking of homelessness and insidious and immoral stain on our moral character. It is all too common in our city, which happily parades around the concept of diversity, so long as it doesn't make the privileged amongst us uncomfortable or affect our feelings of safety or lowers the values of our home. It is a denial of our first Unitarian Universalist principle that recognize the inherent worth and dignity of every person. It is so easy to accuse Texas and Florida of being hostile, for example, to migrants, many of whom now are homeless on our streets. But when they are here in New York City, so many change their tune. We should applaud just this week, our governor put forward a budget that required city this city increasing housing by 3%. How that happens is an open question, but don't believe that this 3% won't involve change. Don't believe that homelessness can be fixed without massive investment in new housing. What we can do is look for opportunities to support development, affordable development, not development for billionaires and high-rise apartments, we can make sure that we are the voices for that kind of building that makes our city more equal and diverse and compassionate. We can push back against the fear-mongering, against those who warn us that our neighborhood will go downhill, that the family-friendly quality of our community will be at stake, that the children will be afraid, and instead suggest that what makes our city great, what makes America great, is that we turn no one away that everyone is welcome here. We can refuse a convenient, politically easy, magical thinking that argues that homelessness can be solved by police alone, psychologists alone, social workers alone. We can push back against the narrative that new housing is innately at odds with historic preservation, something at least in this neighborhood people care a lot about.
I want us to be able to condemn the notion that homelessness is about individual failings or immorality or that homelessness is not as rare as we believe. We can bring humility remembering that no one here is immune to addiction or trauma or mental illness and that those of us who are maybe okay right now may not be so later. The housed are not housed because they are better people, but because they are more fortunate in this moment. So let us insist again and again that if we actually do care about homelessness, if we actually do care about those people who are homeless, or even just housing insecure, that we will do everything we can not to talk tropes and cliches about more funding for social workers and psychologists or police, that that will somehow magically fix the problem. That we will support more permanent, safe, affordable housing in this city, even if it means changes to our community, to our neighborhood, to our street, maybe to our building itself. We will remember that the first principle of our tradition means that everyone deserves a place to live. Everyone deserves safety and shelter. That first principle applies here and now too. May we help make it so in this city we love. Amen. Hi, Reverend Schuyler. Hey, Deb. Thanks for joining me. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's great to be here with you. Yes, thank you. Um, so I want to jump right in. Um, your, your message today was about homelessness. Um, what brought this up for you? Like what inspired it? Why now? Um, I find that like, your messages are always so timely, <laughs> but why now? And this specific message. Yeah, uh, so there's a lot of conversation right now in New York City, especially, but also all over the United States about homelessness. Um, there's a very clear rise in homelessness right now that we're seeing. Um, and that's led a lot of politicians, a lot of government agencies and mayors to, um, to take action and implement new policies. And so one of those was something done in New York that our mayor, Eric Adams, implemented in the fall. Uh, and so it's, a, and, it, and I think it was, uh, had mixed reviews, and but it was it's a it's a powerful, I think, moment in time for us to reflect on what does it mean to have people in our midst who are not um, not housed and don't have a place to live, um, or who live in shelters um, or are just housing unstable, um, and uh, and so it's a real important conversation. We talk about how there's more homeless folks now than there have been since the Great Depression. So it's a real it's a real issue. And I think particularly in New York, where it is so easy to dismiss them and walk by folks who are homeless and say, well, you know, that's not my problem or, well, mental illness or addiction. I can really be clear about what the, what the reasons are behind it and mm -hmm. and that there are a lot of there's a lot of people who I think consider themselves liberal or progressive that um, that oppose the kind of solutions that we need, which is actually more housing, right? And mm. especially, there's a lot of, I talk about nimbyism, uh, there's a lot of nimbyism, not in my backyardism that happens on the Upper West Side for a whole lot of reasons, but I think it's important for us to have some clarity around um, 
how that intersects with with um, issues with homelessness uh, mm-hmm. and affordable housing, and that you really can't you can't solve all those issues unless you are willing to let go of some of your nimbyism, um, which is mm-hmm. particularly among mm-hmm. people of privilege. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah, that's very true. Um, it is very easy to try to like walk by or Moses and I were while my son were walking into church today um, and there were like two people like that were homeless or without a home on the street sleeping maybe in a sleeping bag covered Um, I I struggle with the message I appreciate you naming that it's not always about mental health it's not always about um, the things we've been told or the narratives we've heard that are easy Um, and so I have moved away in the past from like, oh, giving someone $5 or a dollar because I'm worried like, oh, they may buy drugs or, um, but I've moved away from that and I've given an apple, I'll carry an extra granola bar with me. Um, I, I love that you pointed to like structural things we can do to support. Um, do you have any advice for the day to day? If you see someone like honoring their dignity and being empathetic, but I, I feel like I want to fix something and I know it's a longer and a bigger thing, but <laughs> uh, wow. do you have any ideas or suggestions for that? More of these I think it's a very great practical question. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things that is so striking about homelessness, right, is that it's such a, there are all kinds of really devastating mm-hmm. um, and, and powerful inequalities in our structure, in our system, in our country, in our world that we just don't encounter on a daily basis, right? Like those people who can't afford um, medication, right? Like we don't see them mm-hmm. struggling in, with their health on the street in a very visible, like disturbing way. And so homelessness in some ways is the, uh, it is sort of the, the outward manifestation of a whole host of other issues, whether it is, you know, mental illness or addiction um, or a lack of, you know, real medical care that, that a lot of folks who are, who are in poverty experience, right? Um, um, and of course, there's a difference between like people who are chronically um, homeless mm-hmm. and those people who are sort of temporarily or are experiencing homelessness in that moment. Um, and I think it's very easy to sort of like, like these are homeless people versus yeah. like, you know, there are a lot of people uh, and there are people in our congregation that have been homeless uh, and are not now. And you would not necessarily think that they would have been, but they are. And so, or they were. Um, and we have people who literally are at times homeless in our congregation. And so being clear that it's not like an identity <laughs> that people, yeah. um, I think moves us to a place of greater compassion as well um, towards towards folks. So, you know, I, I I think there's definitely myths in our in our society about like somehow it's you know the old classic welfare queen trope, right? yeah. full of racist baggage, yeah. you know, created by I think folks who wanted to chip away at the social network that that really protects a lot of people, right? Um, I, I don't think generosity is ever a, a bad thing, um, you know, whether it's a dollar or two to somebody who is asking for it. You know, those folks are not getting rich off of sitting there with their can or their, you know, cardboard, bet, uh, you know, sign, right? Like, yeah. you know, whether they use it for drugs or not, or they just use it for a, a coffee or for a bagel or whatever. I, I think there is some dignity that one offers um, them by being generous financially or or like you said like with you know giving them a granola bar if you have a piece of fruit um to recognize that um that they may be hungry um you know one of the things that we try to do at the congregation is have a list of the homeless uh 
shelters, but also food pantries that, that folks can go mm -hmm. to and be directed to if they need support, whether whether that's something that people want or not. Um, and uh, and so I think if people people have a sense of where are those places in my neighborhood that if someone asks, all right, can you get me some food? Um, you you know you should feel okay doing that. You know, going to a grocery store with them if there's a market or a convenience store. But you can also say, oh, you know, I know that you know on, on Tuesday nights such and such a church has a food pantry, um, or mm -hmm. you know, the West Side Campaign Against Hunger has a you know uh, has a place on 86 in West End. West Side, uh, West End, where you can go. So being aware of kind of where those places are, I think it can be helpful. But you know, you will not. I don't think it's ever, ever immoral to give money or uh, or food or some kind of something to people who are who are on the street. You know, mm -hmm. It's not going to break make break their life. You're not going to. They're not. They're not living the high life there with <laughs> people throw them. And so. If you're worried about being taken advantage of, I think that's uh, kind of. I'm, on, I'm recording, buddy. <laughs> Sorry, okay. I I agree with you. Is it's um, it reminds me of one of the scriptures, like many of you have entertained angels or something like <laughs> you've been unaware, but you've entertained like just being kind and giving and putting good energy out into the world is always a positive, hopefully thing. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, and yeah, I think that's absolutely that's absolutely true. Um, and to recognize that a lot of the folks who are struggling or on the street are not people who have had easy lives, right? Like they're not mm -hmm. those in this. They're not people who are somehow worse people than you or I are fortunate to have a place to stay at night. You know, they're mm -hmm. people who often grew up in really painful environments who, you know, have struggled with a lot of things and that our society has not not taking care of them as we should have um, and that's true for people who are born into poverty but it's also true a, a large part of you know homelessness in big cities are, are you know uh transgender teens queer teens who've been kicked out of their parents homes yeah and so a lot of folks you know it's a, it's a it's a very complex issue and so we can't i think we have this idea of like who these folks are um and uh, we really need to i think move away from these sort of these tropes that are have been used and I think cultivated in our society to um, be used as reasons to cut social services and to be mm -hmm. passionate and move from a place where we can where we see their humanity um, and then be willing to to do what actually is helpful for them, which is to make sure we have housing, right? And that's often more difficult and complicated and expensive. And also, you face people who are have a lot of privilege who don't want public housing built in their communities, right? Or they don't want they worry about the children or whatever, you know, you and I mm -hmm. and like, you know, um, right. with the Lucerne hotel drama that happened on the Upper West side, uh, during the pandemic, that was a hugely overblown crisis that people seemed to pretend was, was real. Um, and I remember walking by multiple times during that and, and literally seeing nothing, the hotel, the hotel restaurant that was there, which is a very nice hotel restaurant, um, that's like mm -hmm. clearly appeals to kind of an upper, upper class clientele had, was on record by saying we never had any issues with the folks who were staying there. Um, mm -hmm. And so a lot of this, I think, is there's fear mongering. There's there's yeah. some degree of hysteria around what will be like. But we have to we have to overcome that. And as people of faith who really say we believe in things about inherent worth and dignity, right? Like we have to we have to be willing to stand up against that NIMBY tendency that, that we all have to some level. But yeah. 
be more aware of it is important. Mm -hmm. Thank you. As we end, my final question is, um, were there things that you had to cut or you couldn't <laughs> include in the message for whatever reason? Yeah, I think, I think ideally I would have been able to talk more about the specifics of the Upper West Side and, and New York um, in general. Um, there was, there's a lot there that I think culturally is impactful. I think some of the most like enlightening and also disturbing things I've seen during my time at Fourth Universalist is going to like preservation committee meetings or like mm. town halls and just the level of vitriol and, and self-righteousness and anger directed at people who um, are looking for creative solutions around housing um, and this conflict between preservation of the neighborhood and affordable housing it feels mm. feels like a false conflict and also feels like a unnecessarily emotionally charged one where people are living in places of fear and anxiety rather than than sort of hopeful solutions and um you know that maybe that'll be another sermon particularly if things escalate with our um you know with homelessness in the city but um mm -hmm. but i do think that like you know i you know deb as you know like we have we are a steward of a historic building in a landmark district i have spent a huge amount of my life in the last six and a half years working hard to preserve this building and this neighborhood right. that it is part of <laughs> um and so that's a very near and dear issue to my my heart and also like i don't see that as somehow opposed to the issue of affordable housing and i think mm -hmm. as people who live in this city and live and care about this city have to be able to be creative and, and imagine a world where those th two things work together and complement rather than threaten each other Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. All wonderful, good points. <laughs> much more reflection to come, I'm sure. Yeah, thank you. you so much. Of course. Thank you. Great talking to you. Thanks for listening. You too. Yeah. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye.